What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 336. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, and I'm here as always with Ron and John. Ron and John. Ron and John. Hello. It's uh, Ron. Good to see you guys. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you guys. Good yes. to see you guys. Um, so we've got a little bit of a mix-up, or not a mix-up, like a mix mish mishmash of a episode today i guess i don't know we're going to talk a little yeah. bit about um you know news last week came out like right after we or right after or right before we recorded last it week's was actually episode. the day we recorded and right, I, right. I had it on a little sticky but i just didn't bring it up because it never felt like the kind of topic you wedge in and especially as mm. i've heard more about the story it was i'm glad we didn't i'm glad we didn't treat it in a cursory way because it's a bit sad uh and kind of yeah. heavy to mm-hmm. think about this but the bruce willis yeah. story that right. people have been talking about yeah, just um, you know, the family comes out and makes a comment or a statement about Bruce Willis kind of stepping away from acting and uh, kind of dealing with aphasia, uh, suffering from aphasia, and it seems like he's been kind of from uh, like you just said. The more and more it comes out, he's kind of been working. Uh, man, it's sad working through it. You know, these past few years, yeah. doing a lot of movies, um, movies that not a lot of people know about. And you know, I'm looking over the list, and it's like a lot of titles that I didn't even recognize. But, you know, him doing a lot of these like uh, direct-to-video uh, VOD titles um, and uh, to maybe set his family up, you know, even though he's like one of the biggest stars of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you know, just the, the announcement of a of a movie star of his of his uh, reputation, of his filmography, you know, just going through um, that kind of thing, you know, it definitely comes up and a lot of people have been talking about him and his performances. So, we wanted to spend a little time just talking about um, the standouts that he's kind of given uh, through his filmography here on the podcast for a bit. So we're going to kind of go through a lot of his movies and performances that's really stood out to us and that have, you know, come to mind when we think about what Bruce Willis has offered the, uh, the, the film and, you know, movie world over the last few decades. Um, I think we're going to maybe do a little bit of a brief catch up on the, the new episode of the, of Moon Knight on the Disney Plus series. It just uh, dropped its second episode the day that we're recording this, um, which would have been you know, two days ago as this airs uh, on our podcast feed. But And then uh, I think John and I are going to talk a little bit about Severance. Ron, you've seen on the, a few episodes of it, so you know, you'll know participate to the point you're comfortable with, but we're going to talk a little bit about the season finale, which uh, which airs this week um, as well. And then I guess there's some catch-up stuff, you know, talk about some things that we may have watched as well uh, since we last recorded, but um, where do you guys want to start today? Do you want to talk about Bruce a little bit at the top of the show? Yeah, I like the order that you just did. Bruce, uh, and then uh, Moon Knight, and then Severance, and then, you know, whatever else. Everything else, right? Yeah. Uh, everything else, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bruce Willis, I mean, I would say, you know, most people, if you ask them for some of like the biggest, I would say action stars, but just like stars of the late 80s through like the early 2000s uh you know i think he would probably come up on a lot of people's list because you know people like you know sylvester stallone arnold schwarzenegger you know if you're talking action definitely you know people like the, those two names jean claude van damme bruce willis though was a name that somehow managed to be in a lot of these action movies that are you know classics you know and then also kind of saw the opportunity, you know, in the late nineties to kind of cross over and did a lot more genre, you know, movie making and genre pictures 
He was in some comedies. He was in some thrillers. And he just kind of just had like a nice resurgence at that point where he, I don't want to say ever lost relevance, but, you know, he had a few flops, you know, going into the mid nineties. And then, you know, with movies like, um, you know, like Pulp Fiction and Sixth Sense just kind of resurged and kind of came back on the radar and people were talking about him again. And, And, you know, he is like one of those movie stars, you know, that at one point in history was like, a bankable name and you know people would show up for whatever new bruce willis movie was coming out because he was he was a leading man um and just a a star you know like um i don't know like every time i think about him i think about that period in time where like you couldn't look anywhere and you didn't you you couldn't not see like a movie that bruce willis was starring in you know which was yeah, like one of the biggest movies of the year or like you'd see him out promoting like his partnership in Planet Hollywood and like, you know, those restaurants and everything. And there was just like this this or playing harmonica period. as. Bruno, right. Yeah. Right. Playing, the, playing uh, music videos, yeah, the, the blues pub rocker, um, <laughs> just that power that he had, yeah. you know, like that, that itself right there was like the power star power that he had where, you know, he had like you know, the, the, the ability to like have a side career as like a musician of mm-hmm. some, of some level of success. But I don't know, like, what do you guys think of Bruce Willis when you just, you know, think about his movies, think about his, his star um, before we get into our picks for movies or performances, like, I think we should just maybe just talk about like where, where he is on this like scale of movie star. Um, I, I guess when I think about Bruce Willis, there are people who kind of transcend cultures. Um, I know I've heard my mom say on several occasions, Bruce Willis, mm, Bruce Willis. Right. There's something about him that feels almost like, you know, like Denzel or he he crosses cultures. Like there's no black or white with bruce willis there's just bruce willis it's what he represents to the culture he's he's been in so many things and been so brave on screen for a lot of people you know like you know it's 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 really nice to think that whenever i hear his name i remember when sin city came out and friends seeing him in a poster and being like, Bruce Willis is going to kill his shit. And right. It was like right. an excitement. Like, I remember that feeling. And this was all of my friends. So I think that's what I think about when I think about Bruce Willis. And performances, I mean, there's an infinite amount. Um, but I do have some, like, quirky favorites. I think I'm going to go with quirky for this list. I know that for a fact. Right. You know, I think that what what we're all kind of <clears throat> what you guys are kind of getting at, and what I was thinking of, is just charm. Like Bruce Willis yeah. had a charm to him that made him a star. Like whatever that first thing you saw him in was, you kind of caught it, and people would refer to his smirk as like yeah. almost like it was a lazy thing, or that he played himself. And and I definitely, you talked a little bit about some of these kind of paycheck roles that maybe he's taken over the years, where yeah. he hasn't felt as invested, and it would sometimes dilute the memory and the feeling of just how great Bruce Willis is sometimes just to see him in movies where it felt like, okay, he's showing up. He's not being, he's not really doing any, anything that's, that's challenging him that much. Um, but even sometimes doing super mainstream schlock, he still brought that charm and that smirk yeah, and that kind of humor to it. And I think maybe this might be a weird thing to say, 
because he was in so many huge movies and he was so great in so many things that again i think we're about to talk about but like he was such a star in those things you mentioned it steve he yeah. had like a name recognition you might go see it knowing bruce willis was in it or even right. if that wasn't your jam you knew people were doing that and and that kind of feel this way about him like he's He's, he's got this charm, this sex appeal, this whatever it is. He never quite became a name brand action guy. The way that when you say Schwarzenegger and you say Stallone, even Van Damme, you think a certain type of stardom. Bruce Willis was like a character actor in, in a leading man's body or some mixture of the two. Because when you really think about why maybe he didn't become Schwarzenegger or Stallone, it's because he mixed it up so much. It's because he had yeah. those those you mentioned, you know, the genre films that came along in the '90s, and 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 like yes, he has obviously. There's one giant franchise, and it's total action, classic everything yeah. that we associate him with. But outside of that, he just kind of did all kinds of different movies and seemed to make a point of working with great directors, like the way someone like Tom Cruise would do of like, you just got a sense that Bruce Willis was shooting for the, for the fences when it came to like swinging for the fences, I think is what we yeah. say. Um, you shoot for something else, um, the shoot for the moon or the stars, the right? Moon? Yeah. Yes. The moon. Um, but like, you get what I'm saying that like, he was like, no, it, you're it, right. he was almost you're like right. a character actor. He would choose these kind of interesting roles. The fact that he was not the most dynamic, maybe the most versatile actor does not harm for me his legacy at all because he it's like those actors you would say that they bring themselves to the the role he brought yeah. a kind of laconic charm and a and a sense of humor and uh, i think that that's something that a lot of movies need and i don't know there's something kind of quiet and patient about him that like he was he was not a showy actor he doesn't you know you can't bet that he's going to have a giant explosive moment in a movie when you see him he might be quiet and restrained most of the movie i don't know there's just a lot to say about him that I guess we really should get at now by talking about these performances that that might help fill out some of the things we're saying. So um, yeah. I just want to throw one out there because to me, this is the first one. And this is like when I was a kid and Moonlighting came on, the character of David Addison on that show was so cool and so funny in that way that it, it's like exactly like it, it. It was the perfect pairing with with Sybil Shepard's kind of uptight, yeah. kind of manic comic energy. Um the fact it was a detective agency. I, I don't remember the details of the show, but I think she like inherited or ended up being left a lot of assets by by some rich person. Maybe it was like a, a, a husband that died or something, or I don't know, it was a relative. I really don't remember that part of the show. But one of them was this this uh, this detective agency that was being run at the time by David Addison, uh, Bruce Willis's character, and he was like a drunk, and and he you know they had will they won't they energy <clears throat> from the first time you saw him together. It was just this guy. It was that guy. It was the guy whose comic persona brings the the real spark to this show. It was a it was a fun detective show. It ended up doing a lot of like it would break the fourth wall. It would do all kinds of creative things that kind of inspired a whole wave of television shows that tried to be a little more cinematic. But when I was a kid, mm. David Addison and therefore Bruce Willis kind of became. I mean, one of the only other characters that hit me so hard when I was a young kid was like uh, I don't know if you ever saw WKRP, but Howard Hessman's Johnny Fever character on that show really yeah. influenced me when I was a kid. He was like a cool guy and he was funny and you could kind of tell he was like based on something kind of real. And I think David Addison was that kind of pop culturized version of that, which is like, oh, here's a fun, cool guy like Hawkeye Pierce on MASH or something or like Bill Murray in the movies. Um, you know, that was the energy that he hit the scene with. So for me, he'll always be sort of like a, a secret comic genius because he was such a breath of fresh air kind of playing against the type of the heroic character that he might play later. 
Yeah, I think that was probably like my first ever awareness of Bruce Willis. I can remember watching that. Like, I know like my parents watched it and I was just like, I have a memory of watching that show with them. And like, then the, the connection of seeing him in big screen movies, it was yeah. like that leap, you know? And like, there's been conversation about like, you know, since the, the you know, this, this announcement was made about, you know, his condition and, and what his plans are of like, you know, there's discussions around like people that made that leap from like television to movie star. And, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. And I feel like, you know, his transition, especially into the kind of star he ended up becoming, because, yeah, you're right. Like I made a comment earlier about like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, like those were the action stars. But I feel like, you know, he had this ability to and has this ability to in his roles, like something like Moonlighting. Um, you know, to go from that to an action film and, you know, he can be an action films, but he wasn't like an action hero in sense. Like he was like an every man kind of hero. And in a lot of his performances, most of what we're going to talk about, like he was that kind of every man person. And I think that's what made him so relatable. Kind of what, uh, what Rana was getting to a little earlier about like him kind of crossing over into different, you know, cultures, demos, anything like that. There was just like, something super relatable and even in his performance in, in Moonlighting, it was like it was, a you know, a very uh, good comic performance that, you know, he would later do in a lot of other movies, too, which one of my picks is is a comedy. And I, I guess I'll go next. I just wanted to mention, uh, you know, Zemeckis' Death Becomes Her as one yes, of my favorites. Yes. Um, awesome. Bruce Willis. That was, that was one of my picks. You just cleared one. That's one of my movies that just like, you know, stands out to me, you know, from the early 90s. Um, you know, Zemeckis kind of being able to do some off the wall zany comedy. And you're talking about people, you know, like Meryl Streep and uh, Goldie Hawn being the stars of the movie. Um, you know, it's their movie in a lot of ways, and he kind of plays the backseat to it. But I think that his performance in that um, is very funny. And, you know, and I think it's kind of, again, it kind of taps into the, the, you know, what he was doing in Moonlighting, you know, just the chemistry that he had with, um, you know, with with the leading ladies that he was in a lot of movies with, but this one specifically, um, always go back and watch this movie and think about you know the the effects and like you know just how funny and dark this movie is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he 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 stands out in the movie too, especially when you think about you know who he's acting against and you know just the idea of um, you know he's not a good person in the movie. You know, and but yet again, something is very likable and relatable about his character and his performance that I think is what he was so good at, um, especially when he was like kind of in some of these like lighter movies um, compared to some of the action movies or the thrillers that he did uh, in the years that would come. But I don't know, thinking about his comedic skill and, his, and he and, you know, he was and he is a pretty funny and seems to have some sense of humor um to him but this one always stood out to me and uh for the variety i, I guess i'm going for a little variety in my yeah. picks so and i think he has a lot of variety in his films and people you know could pick a, a number of movies um but yeah death becomes her is one that stands out to me um, i just want to add to that i think one of the things you kind of hinted at steve that i love about him in that is that and i'm not saying that most actors wouldn't do this because look who you're up against in this movie right. it's goldie hawn and and meryl streep like in scenery chewing mode and you know and she yeah, can turn totally. it on especially when she's in a comedy meryl streep finds this other pitch that's just crazy um and goldie hawn like really doing her best to compete with that so these are two like geniuses you know <laughs> 
yes. that, that he like very wisely sort of accepts the kind of beta role of this character. And yes, Steve, it's a great gag that despite being kind of a spineless character, he sort of wins in the end. Like right. he, he kind of skates through, even though we find out how his demise occurs and all this stuff. It's, I don't know. It's a funny performance because it's like at no point does he seize control of the movie in a way that could be deemed cool. Um, he's, it's, it's a totally comic character. And I think that like, it just shows that he had a better sense of humor about himself than you might've thought someone like him would have about like his image on screen. Um, right. that he would play this, this kind of schlubby guy who kind of gets batted around by these two other characters, uh, in that movie. So, yeah. Cool. Ronald. What do you got, Ronald? Um, I mean, Wes Anderson is yes. one of my favorite directors. Um, so this, besides like the Royal Tenenbaums, um, this may be one of his most palatable and it may be well-received movies. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom. It's very warm and sweet. Uh, yeah, really warm and sweet. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis plays like a security guard who, who has, who's a sad guy who, who's, who's kind of... Uh, on the outs with somebody that he, he really cares for. Um, and so the motivations of these really intense kids who fall in love with each other and, and run away, he understands what he has to save them. And seeing this conflict that exists within him and he he, he does some action scenes in this movie, mm -hmm. just the quirkiness of it. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's you know, it's like Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, you know, these huge people. And then Bruce Willis, who is also huge and, and not really in this kind of movie very often, mm -hmm. this silly, really intentionally filmed, uh, you know, super quirky movie. And he fits in so perfectly that you, you would not know that he wasn't a part of this band of actors that he typically picks. Wes Anderson typically picks. He's really on brand. It's like, he gets the material, um, and if if you want to you know get a little misty eyed, watch Moonrise Kingdom. It's 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 close to a perfect movie to me. I, and, it's and it's Bruce Willis so turning good. up that charm that I was talking about. Don't you think? Like, yeah. don't you think like that's what yeah. makes that character work so well in that movie is that he really Definitely. is like a likable good man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I was that was one of the ones that sprang to my mind too, Ronald. Primarily because yeah. of what you said, he's working with a director like Wes Anderson, which was something he did back in the '90s a lot more. But he yeah. he did less and less as time went on. Um, right. It yeah. seemed like he got a little bit less comfortable, kind of stretching his wings or being being under the 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 control of a powerful director. But yeah. I don't know what I don't know if there's any real story to why his career kind of took that turn towards more mainstream, you know, fair. Um, well, I'll just throw one out there that is, uh, you know, we're talking about kind of oddball turns. I think this was a great mix of like an action, uh, sort of a genre thing that he would do, but also with just a very strange film and a strange performance, um, in a way, but 12 monkeys is a movie mm. that, um, I just think is like, I still think about it as one I could just about always watch because of just visually how interesting it is and how well done that aspect of it is. But the way that that movie plays with going back and forth through time and yeah. and the, the way that the sci-fi and the kind of is it all in someone's mind and then the time travel sort of, I don't know. It's just, it's a cool mix of things that reaches a real crescendo uh, when it gets to the end in terms of 
everything kind of clicking into place. And it's it's a sort of tragic sci-fi story. I don't know. And it's got the Terry Gilliam touch of visuals that are really well worked out when, when he can work it out. But the rest of it is sort of, it's like the Terry Gilliam of the Fisher King where he's, he's kind of in the real world a little bit and he's, mm. he's, he's not, uh, you know, it doesn't feel so overdone <laughs> as, as a Terry Gilliam film can kind of feel. Um, and it, it, as everyone probably knows, if you're going to talk about quirky performances, it's got maybe Brad Pitt's quirkiest, performance as well and that was again let's think how early in his career he was doing like brad pitt was doing this and um a true romance he was very early on sort of similar to bruce willis sort of showing that okay you might think of me leading man style but yeah my heart is really in these performances where i get to maybe turn it up a little bit but yeah 12 monkeys is yeah i haven't seen it in forever but the more and more i thought about it today i remember just it you know just seeing bruce willis in that thing like bruce willis is a visually like striking image his his bald head he's one of those guys who embraced the the shape of his head very early in his career he didn't really fight yeah. uh going bald um or at least after a point he didn't um but yeah 12 monkeys i'm, I'm sure that's a, one of those kind of cult classics that people still keep in the rotation but um i don't hear people talking about it too much also at madeline stowe remember her <laughs> absolutely yeah madeline stowe <laughs> Yeah, 12 Monkeys always stood out like, yeah, it was that one that kind of was off the wall. Like it wasn't like something that was, I mean, both for his, I guess his involvement in it. But yeah, the Brad Pitt stands out. Obviously, Brad Pitt gets an Oscar nomination for that, which is, you know, just incredible. But yeah, Bruce's performance in that really is the anchor of the movie. And I think that's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like that's kind of like a through line on some of these picks, because my next pick, I mean, is a, one of the more obvious ones. But, um, you know, I just want to make sure we don't miss this. Not that I think we would skip it, but I think that The Sixth Sense is, you know, not only something that reinvented his career and yeah. launched a career of one of the most successful filmmakers of, of our generation, you know. Um, but I think that, um, you know, that performance in The Sixth Sense is something that surprised a lot of people um, in, in a similar way, you know, that some of these other movies, like, you know, I'm thinking... This is one where it really was purely uh, a, a more of a dramatic performance, you know, that really he didn't do a lot of straightforward uh, performances like this. And I think, you know, working with a screenplay that, you know, some would argue is maybe one of the more perfect polished screenplays, you know, produced in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And not to mention that this is a movie with one of the best child performances in it, maybe ever. And I think that at the at the root of that, again, I think it's this performance that Bruce Willis gives and really selling uh, the twists of that movie. You know, it really kind of banks on the performance that he gives, uh, you know, um, and the whole third act really kind of beyond, you know, Haley Joel Osment's performance, which is, again, I think one of the best child performances ever. I think yeah. that it's just, you know, Bruce Willis's performance in that is something that really shocked people. It surprised the hell out of me. You know, again, it's a period where, well, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, this was the time where I'm thinking there were some movies that came out that weren't that successful. And maybe you have a star that's not the star and doesn't have the star power um, that he had maybe even five years prior to this. Um, but this movie completely reinvented him as an actor and brought upon opportunities that, you know, he would he would pursue in the years following it. Um but yeah, you don't talk about this movie, you know, as, as one of the best twists ever. Again, one of the best child performances, one of the best screenplays, I think, 
um, of recent years. And it, it really all kind of like goes through the, the performance of Bruce Willis. I think, you know, you're watching the movie um, with him and with this child. And I think that that, that twist at the end really lands because of, because of his performance in the movie. I mean, his performance is a magic trick, right? I mean, it like, really is. And it's literally a magic trick, too, because yeah. it is so affecting. And what he's going through with his marriage in that movie is, or his wife or his ex or whatever we're yeah, watching yeah. as the movie goes along, you know, is so touching. And you're like, this is painful. There's pain in this character. And yet, yeah, if, if I know there are people who say, oh, I knew it from the second, whatever. Yeah you, yeah, you get a yeah. well. Even if it's true, you get a. Yeah. you. I'll give you a free candy bar after the movie. Yeah, yeah great, great. You ruin the movie for yourself. <laughs> but even if, even if that's the way you watch movies, you, that you can guess those things because I've done that. I've been like, oh, sure, is this sure. is this a dream? And then at the end, you go, oh yeah, it was a dream. But that doesn't mean the movie isn't a good journey. But it's right. the kind of thing where if that movie, if you looked away, if you looked at, th they don't just create things to distract you from the thing. They create things to distract you from the thing you think you're supposed to be looking at to see the thing you're supposed to be looking at. You're so busy yeah. looking for ghosts in this movie, you don't really notice that Bruce Willis only talks to to the kid who can see ghosts. Know. You know, it's crazy, right? And the stuff with the with the wife then becomes, you know, watching it now and watching it as you know, it's at least good for two watches. I know some people would say that movie is relies on the twist. And I think that's where M. Night Shyamalan, we could, you know, we've talked about it before and we'll probably talk about it again. His best movies, the twist adds to the story that was already good. Um, yeah. Or makes the story that was already good have that final like clicking into place that you want to have that makes you satisfied when a movie ends or whatever. But I mean, right. I guess I'll piggyback on this a little bit just because I don't think it's that different. But Unbreakable was obviously an offshoot of this this relationship with this director. Um, and I, I couldn't decide which of these movies to pick. Um, and I guess, well, I, like I said, I'll just kind of piggyback this on there. But I think Unbreakable had some of those emotional moments. Like, it was like M. Night learned that, yes, Bruce Willis can handle these emotional moments in this kind of fantasy framework, and we can really hold on him. And yeah. there's some great, like, super charming, super, like, heroic, super moving moments with Bruce Willis in Unbreakable, where he gets to be inter interacting with the world a little more. But I think that movie wouldn't exist if not for the way that he turned that finely tuned performance in in uh in Sixth Sense where the movie literally depend like as much as the movie needed this wonderful child performance in it it completely hinges on just yeah. our assumptions about Bruce Willis being the star of the movie yes um, and his ability to carry that off and also to play as i said the pain of that reveal as opposed to the it's not like a twilight zone moment it's an emotionally ruinous moment you know yeah um so yeah Ronald, what's your next Hello. one? Uh, so, um, 2007's of the the Fifth Element is yeah, sci-fi. Many could consider it schlock and, and <laughs> ridiculousness, and it it feels like it could have only been made in the 90s, and it feels like the last of those like silly. Like, man, what would the future be like when it's really like so far fetched that it, it's probably not going to be like that for a couple of thousand years, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, but like my mom, it's one of my mom's favorite movies, like legit. Whenever it came on, she would watch. She got the DVD and would watch it. And it's just because it feels like a world where everybody is just there 
existing, getting along. And <laughs> while, while this chaos is happening around them. And Bruce Willis is basically doing uh, Die Hard in Space. But Good God is so entertaining, man. It, it's one of the one of the better movies that I've seen in, in, in his collection, just because it's it's so rewatchable. You know, it, you may not agree with it, you know, being great story wise. And, and it gets a little schlocky in the middle. But goodness, it is so fun. It's a fun ass movie. And and Chris Tucker's performance. Yeah. Incredible. Like yeah. incredible. Like and, and you know, we'd seen him in other things. You know, Friday and uh, other other films that he'd been in, but this was like Dead Presidents. This was something so different. So unique. And you know, it took especially back then, man, like he's like if you could imagine, like it, he was coming off of this like street credibility, right? And then he goes into this like very androgynous, silly character that was having sex with women, but you wouldn't have expected it. Is a strange <laughs> character, and he, I feel like he demanded that that part. He's like, I ha- I must have sex with a woman in order for you to know that I am straight <laughs> in this movie. So it's neither here nor there, but. Yeah, Fifth Element is such a fun movie. Mila Jolovich, amazing. I was gonna say when you said ninety-seven, a, a thousand. Nineteen ninety. What did I say? Eighty-seven. Two thousand seven. Oh, sorry. Yeah, ninety-seven. Sorry about that. You said it looked. But like then, it I, would... then I referred to the ninety. So yeah. Yeah, it's... I know. I was, I was like, wait a second. What year was it? Yeah, nineteen ninety-seven. Sorry. But then you also said that it looked like a thousand years from now. So in a thousand years, people will wear bandages as clothes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, That's absolutely. Bandages as clothes. Okay. And we'll be jumping on the tops of floating cars in space. That's a, just a really, that's a very visually cool movie. Very well realized movie. It always bugged me that the fifth element was love. Like in my cynical self, when I went to see that movie, I think that bothered me at the time. But I think that as far as the visuals, this is another one where like just the look of Bruce Willis in this film is so iconic. And the, 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 he's used that way. It's like someone, you know, knows how to use his image his look, his physicality, whatever. That's a movie where really he's, he's like, he's a good action figure. Like it's kind of cool to watch him. Um, well, for my next pick, I don't know which of these lines to say. You could say one of two lines that would be like, well, we've got to mention these two films. So maybe if I don't say one of these lines, one of you guys will say the other line, and then we can all agree that we know two of, of his most iconic performances. Uh, you know, I, we've talked enough about these kind of indie films that he did, and even though maybe he was in one of the biggest indie films of all time, um, and he's great in it. I'm going to say yippee ki motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> come on, John McClane. I'm not even talking about the, the franchise. The first movie mm. is such a classic film that to this day, people will say, Die Hard on a on a submarine. Die Hard right. at the zoo. Die Hard underground. Like it's still it still represents yeah. something. Now you might say what that's come to mean. Oh, it's, it represents terrorists taking something over and then people having yeah. to escape. But what I think of is one of my favorite things in all movies. And we mentioned it earlier about him kind of being a good character. His characters take punches. You know, that's the yeah. thing that Harrison Ford always brings to his characters in an action movie too. Is that that there's a comic aspect to the guy who's almost a badass enough. 
Like Indiana yeah. Jones is always getting knocked down. And so is John McClane. John McClane's walking around barefoot on glass. He's like, yeah. he's not prepared for this. So it's not just that terrorists have to take something over. Because there's a lot of diehard on a whatever where it's got like a blank tough guy or a Jean-Claude Van Damme type guy at the center of it. But what made Die Hard so great? And really, I didn't see it in the theaters. I didn't see it on video. I saw it when it hit HBO. Mm. And I just started watching it anytime it was on. I yeah. loved everything about it. It's just like all the rhythms have been absorbed into every other action movie yes. ever made since then. Um, uh, everything about it has become iconic. Um, the villain, this, the the European, the vaguely European nature of the villain, you know. But yes. but but that idea of the kind of misfit hero who's really not ready, who's who's crawling around in vents and having to be, you know, creative and I don't know. Yeah, this yeah. guy uh, Jean McClane is. Somehow, I mean, I think we've kind of told the story of, oh wait, he's this action guy, but he managed to hold on to this 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 quirk factor. John McClane yeah. is 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 a very unlikely action hero if you compare him to the role Stallone would have been playing that year, the role Schwarzenegger would have been playing that year, and I think that's what it is that we've been kind of getting at all this time about this guy is that he's one yeah. of those actors who, for all that he may have become somebody who seems like he takes a certain kind of laconic role, he really was not that when he started out. Like there was something. You know, this guy freaked out in the middle of this movie because he's so outmatched, you know, and he's running around like, what is he wearing? Like a, like, just like a, an, like, like a white tank, a white tank. Yeah. yeah. And like, like slacks and that are cut, yeah, that yeah. are rolled up. Um, anyway. The, yeah. The, the world building in that movie is just incredible. Like, you know, he's coming to see his wife who he's on the fritz with mm -hmm. and he goes to the apartment building to, 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 to get to the building to, to the floor to see her it's like the 30th floor or the business where she for works right yeah yeah yeah, yeah where she works. but but they kind of live in it's, it's a weird setup i can't they can't really explain that to me but uh so they go to he goes to the front and he has to type in her name so he types in mclean then he realizes that the the woman that he's married to is no longer having has his last name and he's like hurt you feel for him mm -hmm. he's like you He's already he's already a, a damaged puppy going into the situation, and then the the terrorism is happening around it. It's like all the cool elements and everybody, everything pays off in that film. Like yes. everything that you see has uh, you know shows up in another portion. You're like, why is this black kid in the in the the the, uh, the garage of <laughs> that? He's so cool. There's no mm -hmm. way that he will not appear again this the, the black guy that's hacking the computers the 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 you know it's every little piece pays off in some way and then and then it creates this tension where you're like this this has to come to a head at some point and it does in such a cool way in the last act like yeah it's so good it really is i think so the thing good that, like the thing that stands out, like, yes, Die Hard is obviously, well, that was my last pick as well. I mean, I don't think oh, okay. you can talk about Bruce Willis, uh, you know, yeah. without talking about Die Hard. And I mean, I think the Die Hard franchise itself could be mentioned, but you're right. The first one is, you know, the best. It's a classic. Like, it's so rewatchable. Um, you know, you can watch this movie every year. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think, you know, obviously we've talked about it a ton already, but I mean, I think the thing that stands out to me is just like, I mean, to be blunt, like you watch a movie star be born really yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, like John picked Moonlighting as his first one. And to think that this happened while he's still on Moonlighting. Yeah. You know, it's like his second watch... big movie. He did the right. Yeah. Did Blind you watch... Date, the Blake Edwards movie. And then I think this was his next big movie. Right. And, you know, you see that jump from like this comedy, you know, and even Blind Date, you know, a comedy. And I think, you know, this movie has tons of comedy in it. And like, I think that's a part of the performance that is the best thing about the performance is, you know, this, 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 this cop sense of humor and like just his way, he kind of is a little more like kind of lighthearted about a lot of this stuff until it starts to ramp up. And even through it, he maintains like this sense of humor about it. And, um, you know, and again, this is probably one of the best examples of like his, this, his, you, you know, the persistence, you know, of this underdog, you know, and he's like this star who's not really an action star, but he's like, he just driving through this film like a wrecking ball and um yeah super quotable uh, what's the other quote is it the the coast co- quote or what 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 were you thinking when you said the two lines oh i was saying from from another movie i was saying uh, zed's oh, dead oh, baby oh, oh, zed's oh. dead i was just thinking about that as like another <laughs> got it like, got it got it you got can't got discount it. uh Pulp Fiction. For me, right, I was right, right, right. Okay, that, I thought but, you meant the two the, the the quotes from this. I, I was thinking. No, of I'm the, sure there's at least two or three more lines that, yeah. are, that are famous from this movie. But we all the, the come to the coast. We'll get drinks. Yeah. Have a good time. Like that. That yeah. quote. Right, stands no, right. Out Where he's me. kind of talking he's himself. In the, yeah. When he's in the vent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the coast. We'll have a great time. Yeah. Well, that's David <laughs> Addison. You, I mean, that's that. That's that moonlighting yeah. humor. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Die Hard is a is a classic. Great performance. John McClane. You know. Talk about somebody's filmography you're like what what are their what are the what are the performances like what are the characters names like some 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 stars you know people may struggle to name the, the names of this of the characters that they played in their you know their films or the ones that come to mind really kind of flows to the top is like the legacy films of this person's career <clears throat> and um you know a couple may come to mind for bruce willis but john mcclain you know beyond Bruce Willis, just in movie history, you know, John McClane is a star and um, yeah, probably one of the, one of my favorite action movies ever. Um, And John McClane is just, you know, it's a legend, man. It's, it's definitely one of the best. Yeah. Um, So what was your final pick, Ronald? Uh, My final pick is he, it's not a huge role for him, but I like, Bruce Willis and other people's sandboxes. The Robert Rodriguez, half of a big long movie, Planet Terror, Lieutenant Muldoon. <laughs> and like seeing him in that element, like, you know, Robert Rodriguez is so fucking crazy. And seeing Bruce Willis there in that environment with, you know, this zombies and yeah helicopters chopping people it's just like it can't get any crazier than that and he's so game for it you know i love how game he was for that movie you know it didn't feel like he was making fun of the material he's he's as serious as they come in that film and uh it's it's a nuts performance the whole thing is a bag of crazy and i'm so glad that robert rodriguez and quentin tarantino actually got to make that film and so many cool people in it, but particularly 
um, Bruce Willis stands out to me in that film. I, I, I you know, I stuck in my head with that beret on. You know who who else stands out to me in that movie that I for whatever reason I thought he was so good and it's hard for me I'd have to watch it again to figure out what it was that really stuck mm. with me. You want to take a guess who else I thought was great in that in Planet Terror in particular? Is Brolin in that? Yeah, Josh Brolin. Yeah, he's he's, he's great. He's so he's good great in that. that, and I don't know why. Yeah. I think he just was playing such a sleazy. Like he the knew doctor, exactly, right? yeah, he knew, but he knew exactly what kind of role. Like knowing that it was a grindhouse <laughs> thing, he was doing right. a very seventies version of like a yeah. a, man, a manly sleazy guy. There was just something mm. I don't know. He was using his Brolinness in this yeah. weird sleazy way that it, I don't know. I always love it when an actor manages to turn what's cool about them into a yeah. into something kind of gross. And he's chewing on a toothpick or something. He just yeah. has this energy that's so like, <laughs> eh macho asshole yeah. i don't know i just remember him being great but i i I'm gonna like rewatch maybe it. i overrate planet terror I, at the time when i saw that it was my clear favorite of the two um of the two movies but i haven't seen death proof i've seen planet terror once since then and i've seen death proof none nuns <laughs> since nuns. then so i don't know maybe maybe I've, I've kind of i loved though that night of going to see basically a double feature with these fake trailers yes. everyone who was there at the theater was there like practically like with pajamas on ready to sit so there fun. for a long time it was super yeah. I, I wish that had become like an annual thing where yeah. they might trade out one movie or bring one back or you know they just would start doing it but i don't think it was enough of a of a box office smash for them to treat it like a franchise right, right. No, I loved that that uh that yeah, that was a really fun night at the movies. All right. Well, Bruce Willis, obviously there's more that we could talk about, but I think we we got a good cross section of the years, you know, that wasn't like yeah. all early. Um was Moonlight uh Moonrise Kingdom the most uh the most recent of the movies we talked about? Was that I think that was, was that 2012 or Yeah, it's 2012. Yeah. yeah. I think it was the most recent. Yeah, I but think I, that is. I think that is the most recent. I'm sure I'm forgetting something that if I looked at thing, his his IMDb in detail, I would find. But I I didn't have to look to think of these great yeah performances yeah. that we've talked about. So the, the one the one I was going to mention, like right at at the intersection of like just a period in time of him doing moon, uh, moonlighting, Die Hard, and then the next like one of the next things after Die Hard, like I think the year or the year after, he was the voice in Look Who's Talking. Which right. cannot go ignored because right. Look Who's Talking was like a monster, monster right, hit. Right. And uh, was, you know, I have very fond memories of that movie, but I, I just think that the voice performance in that, I think he's hilarious as the voice of the baby yeah. in it. Did, he's, did he he's do really, any other really famous voice work? Because I was thinking about that today and I'm he's like, he's in I'm one sure, of the Lego sure. movies. Was he? He played one of the voices in one of the Lego movies. But I was trying to remember if he did some famous animated character that I'm just not thinking of, because it seems like he would have. But maybe I was thinking he, of the Look Who's Talking movies, because that was definitely a, a like you know a voice performance that you got you you heard a lot. Right. Excuse me. Yeah, he did do another one. I, he he was in the second Lego movie. I don't I don't recall it. I remember seeing it on the list, but. He didn't do a lot of animated stuff. Or Isn't voice he work crawling like through the vent at some point? It's just a gag about him being stuck in the vent somewhere. I think that's it. I think yeah, it was it, like a cameo in the second Lego movie where it's, like, it's a little Lego be. of John McClane and he's like lost in the vents and he hasn't made it out or something. <laughs> um, I also got, I also got to just mention Armageddon real quick because yeah. that was that that almost I, I wanted to thing. have like a I wanted to have like some comedies and drama and some action and you know those were my picks but. Uh, you know, Armageddon is like 
I love that movie. Uh, I don't care. I love that movie. Um, and I'm just going to say like of the two movies, well, I, I don't know. The rock's really good too, but like of Bay's movies that are on the criterion collection, you know, I just think that I remember the summer Armageddon came out. Like it was just like the movie um, and his performance as Harry is just, I thought was fun and fun in like the first half of the movie as like, you know, as Bruce Willis would be, but I, I genuinely like love the, the the last pieces like of him with Ben Affleck and his daughter and like when he makes that sacrifice, man, I just, woof, I remember being knocked out by it. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I, I love, I I love it, Armageddon. I give it a while. I love it. It's stupid and silly and big and loud, but I mean, that's most Michael Bay movies, but um, I would say that's probably another one that most people would probably think of when they think of Bruce Willis too. Um, I mean, yeah, if, pe- I know, if people were watching Michael Bay movies at that point and going, wow, this is big and loud and and full of effects, like hey, he hasn't even gotten started making that kind of movie yet. Yeah, yeah Armageddon right. is like a is like a character drama compared to a, all the Transformers series in a way. So, right, you know, right. I, yeah. And I do think that's an like whether you think it's cheesy or not, that whole arc is an iconic arc. We've maybe have seen it done in other things, but the yeah. whole like taking the sacrifice like like knocking somebody out basically to take their place in the yeah. whatever it's a it's a great like uh, last last moment move for 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 that kind of story if you really want to go for the heartstrings so i think that yeah. uh yeah i think that even if you don't even if you don't know that movie you know that happens in it do you know what i mean it's like right, it's definitely like, yeah, yeah. And and yes, yeah, it you, is because little... you know the song and the music video right. and you know it just kind of was everywhere in culture you know that summer and i think you need movies like that where like Michael Bay's making a movie where a bunch of people have to fly out and blow up an asteroid before it hits Earth. Like if if we didn't have movies like that, then you know movies like Nomadland wouldn't be so special. <laughs> you gotta have both, right? <laughs> it's the balance. I just watched a new. I, I just watched a new movie like that. Uh, Moonfall. Oh, I'll oh. say yeah. I was like, I was like, Armageddon walks, so Moonfall could run. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird ass. It's so fun though, man. Moonfall was fun to me. I, I know a lot of people hated it, but it was. I gotta watch it still. I've I've heard I've heard people say the same it's that it's fun, it's, man. If you just know that that's what you know, I don't know what yeah. else you expect from the trailer, but like you know, if you just commit yeah. to that, it's so silly, silly fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know who draws power from the moon? This is a segue. <laughs> but um, bum, but um, bump segue. Segway. Um, <laughs> That's the theme of Segway. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moon Knight. We saw the second episode, uh, Summon the Suit, uh, which came out today, but now you've had a chance to watch it, folks. Um, how did you guys think about... I mean, I know I thought we were all pretty pretty favorable towards the first episode. How did you feel as the story unfolded over episode two of Moon Knight? I was impressed. Yeah. I was impressed, man. Like, you know, we we there's a reveal in this one that you know, we, we were kind of wondering when it was going to come. Um, Moon Knight has many forms. Uh, a second form was taken. Uh, and I'm wondering. I, I love that that's Stephen Grant's version of turning into Moon Knight. Like, yeah. I thought they were going to save yeah. that. I really thought that was going to be like later yeah. in, the, in the season. We Me were going to get a moment where he could actually find the wherewithal to summon up the the transformation yeah. but the fact that when he does it he transforms into like a sort of a different version i mean that almost could be that if they didn't come back to that even that they they nodded yeah. to that design in the comics but that's a recent addition in the last you know maybe 10 years of the character they've introduced yeah, yeah. this mr knight persona who is like the more dapper version of moon knight um but i thought that was 
really handled in a very humorous way. And I think Oscar Isaac is clearly having a blast, like playing at least two and maybe four different characters kind of yeah. in this thing. My only gripe is that this feels very similar to Venom in the way that, you know, the dialogue is had between the 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 identities, the, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. The what's the guy's name? Kronk, Conchu, Conchu. Yeah, and yeah, it feels like Venom. It feels a lot like so, Venom. because he's talking like this. Maybe. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. It's yes. F. Murray and Abraham, it's, and it's I kind of like for the, it to sound more like him because he is doing yeah. kind of a monster man voice. <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's my only gripe. I just don't. I just kind of wish I hadn't seen two Venoms very recently and then saw the way that this one operates yeah. this character operates but besides that it's incredible to me i like the way he's always kind of lingering around like if you look he'll be yeah, on top like, of a building or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's pretty cool steve what'd you think I, i'm loving it man i yeah, really am and i'm and i mean really good. it's all oscar isaac to me i mean oh, like there is just like like he is a fucking star, man. And like to see him in the MCU and even Ethan Hawke, you know, the, the little amount of time that we've spent even in these first episodes with him. I mean, yeah. just like their star power is just like. And their chemistry. Tons of, yeah, tons of people get into the MCU and have fun and, you know, do have good performances. And, you know, you're, you're happy to see them pop up again or to see whatever they're going to do with the character going forward. But again, we kind of mentioned it last week. It's just like, there's something that feels really different about Oscar Isaac coming into the MCU and it feels yeah. really like an entrance. You know, yeah. it feels like a like a like a core entrance into the MCU for me. I don't know yeah. what they plan to do with with him I and mean, they've been very kind of like it feels they're, they're talking more about like how it feels very finite about what this series is and its connection and what it has to accomplish in terms of the greater look of the MCU. But um, that could all be a show. I don't know. You know, you never know what to believe. Um, and I just, yeah, for another for a second episode, you know, it definitely I felt exactly the same, you know, in terms of the whole time. I'm just like glued to him, you know, yeah. the back and forth and the mirrors. And like, you know, I, I wasn't really bothered so much with the the conchu, you know, like that, that venom comparison. I, I definitely see it. And if it kind of gets more silly, I could I could see that being more of a concern for me. Um, you know, that this like, you know, God of the moon is like cursing and like, you know, like weird stuff like that. Um, but some of that may be a projection. I don't, I don't know, you know, but you're going to yeah. see more. I'm sure we'll understand it more, but just, just the performance, the comedy, um, and like just his ability to kind of like turn it on and off is just so impressive, you know, yeah. to go from a really intense scene, um, to like a, like a, just a, to drop a great joke. And, and he and he sells it so easily. Um, love Oscar Isaac. And yeah. I can't wait to see what they do with with this character. Um, and, you know, I, we say it all the time when we talk about these movies. Like, I have no reference for what Moon Knight, who he is, all these characters, the identities, you know, the history of the character, the costumes, the suits. Like, I have no, no expectations. Yeah. So, you know, to see what, you know, Mark's costume looks like versus Steven's is like, is really cool to me and you know it, it really kind of like adds to the to, to the two separate characterizations that i'm watching as a new viewer of what this story will become but um and again i think that so far this feels much more 
in terms of a look much more in line with what you see in the MCU film canon, you know, like what we see in the movies. Um, It's definitely standing out and is more on the level of, you know, like Loki and, you know, and, 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 and WandaVision, you know, like it, 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 it's up there for me too, like in the way that the, the show just looks and the quality of it. Um, And I hope it builds on that, especially where, you know, the location switches at the end of this episode. Like you hope it, it really opens up and they, they bank on that, that cinematic look that it has so far, I think. But yeah, man, I'm digging it. I love it. I, I want to see more. I love the, I love like the shots of like him running across that rooftop, you yes. know, and some of those like over top camera angles. And yeah, that's like the jumping that across be... the street, which they used in the trailer, but it's a great little yeah. shot. Just him yeah. Boop, yeah. between the two buildings. It's really cool yeah. looking. Just, um, that that five years from now, depending where they go, like we're gonna we could look back on them things and be like, those are iconic things now, you know, like for yeah. this character. Um, well, you know, Steve, the yeah. cool thing about Moon Knight too that they might get to in this show, and you might know this, Ronald, but you, do you know why he wears night? He's a character that runs around at night, but he wears white. Do you know why, Steve? No, because he wants them to see him coming. That's that's oh. the thing in the comics. I've always thought that was a cool so aspect. Awesome, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, the costumes yeah. are amazing. Like both of them look so fucking so cool. good. Yeah. yeah, like like when he lands and he's like that that what he's what does he say like like when he's in the 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 yeah. more of like the proper suit he's like that that should have hurt or more yeah. or he says some statement yeah. like yeah. That, but he that, also that, did like a three point a he, superhero land and fell over afterwards. Then, I thought that was right, funny. right, and then makes that comment about like yeah. that should have hurt more yeah. or like that, right. that that went better than I thought. Yeah, like just that was. I love it, man. Like that, well, that, that fight so scene cool. was was choreographed for comedy and for action, and it was yes. cool that other people couldn't see it, but you still felt the threat of the thing. And it was watching Stephen learn the power set a little bit, and yeah. even the, having Mark be like, "That was a pretty good punch." I don't know. There's just some fun stuff, and it does have the Marvel humor, but it's different. It does feel like they've embodied the the, the they've embedded the, the humor more in character that's in character for the situation and less. Of a world where right, right, it's full of wisecracking people. Which I, I'm sure. not knocking that Marvel approach at all. I'm just saying I think that this I, I'd heard Oscar Isaac saying that he tried to base the the humor more in just the sort of guy that he is playing, um, right. and less in the world. And I think that is kind of that's been borne out. I've been impressed at his little asides and some of his little things that he says because he's so fast talking when he's in the Steven character that, yeah, there's room for him to say lots of just witty little things that sound great in that, in that fake British accent. I even like that it's built in. If you want to criticize his British accent, which I think sounds fine, but if you want to, it's a guy doing a voice. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, but I think it's very interesting now to suggest that like different identities are going to play into this and that they seem to be addressing the question that we might have of like, how much does his, disassociative identity disorder how much does it play into his his abilities like did did Khonshu choose him partially because he's mm. fractured in this way or right. is is you know like what might that play into i, I think you got to be careful with depicting mental illness like it's part of someone's superpower but i do think there's room for a portrayal of 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 a real disorder and i i, I would expect them to have at least done their research in terms of how those things will manifest and to me it makes perfect sense that two different identities would have two different ways of manifesting this this god that just feels like something that 
I wasn't really expecting that. Like, I, yeah, I have so many yeah. moments of watching this show where I go, oh, cool. Oh, that's how they're going to do that. Oh, neat. Yeah. You know, and now that we've been spending all this time with Steven, it seems like now we might be with Mark a little bit and we're going to miss Steven a little bit. I don't know. It's just the show's got me on the hook. Kind of like you said, Steve, yeah. I'm. I'm I'm just kind of running along with it. Um, but I do want to say this. I, I think I said this before we started recording. Part of the reason why this show might work for people is you get to the end of an episode and it was cool. Moon Knight fans, I'm sure there are some comic book fans out there nitpicking stuff. But it seems to me that this is not a character that had like an extended classic run that people love. There's not like some right, classic right. storyline that people talk about. It's more about do you get the certain things right, the trappings. Okay, he's got the little crescent, you know, boomerang knives that he throws. Cool. He's got the costume. Cool. Okay, Mr. Knight, check. He's got the multiple personality. It's like the different things that you hope they get in there. But it's yeah. less like you have to get everything right. And I think the MCU has already set people up for for entertaining reinterpretations of characters. But right. I think this show is doing something even different. It's it's doing that thing they've done with some of the movies or some of the characters where they take a character that people don't have a huge knowledge of. It's just kind of a cool image. And, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know that I've ever been around like a huge Moon Knight fan, but I've definitely I've never. never really talked to anybody that knows who Moon Knight is that doesn't think he's cool. You know what I mean? That doesn't yeah. think he looks cool. So I think that, yeah, it, this this feels like a, I mean, for them to do something that feels different at this point is like, okay, that's what we're always saying we want to see. I want to say one other thing. It kind of reminds me, I don't know why, I keep thinking of, of Dark Man, the Sam Raimi film. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In that I it was that. like a superhero that had a weirdness factor to it and kind of a creep factor to it. And I think that this, they're playing into the, you mentioned the weirdness last week, Steve. It's They're playing into the humor of the weirdness. And that's another place that the humor can come from that doesn't feel like the usual Marvel just wisecracking is to say, yeah. oh, some of the comedy in this is just, it's that Sam Raimi-ish horror comedy mix of just what a strange thing to have happen and for us to believe, oh, that really happened, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's well done so far. <clears throat> cool. How many well, episodes of the season? Is it six or? Six, yeah. Seven, six. six. Yeah, I've, I've seen, there, I've seen some, 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 some comments that like, Episode four is like the game changer of the series, which makes me very excited. Apparently, that's what they talk about that, apparently that's what they've allowed people like critics to see yeah. so far with the first right. four. You think they're gonna talk about where they are in the MCU? Are you? Would you be okay? I, if, I guess. I guess what I, I actually am trying to ask you is you two is would you be comfortable? with them establishing where he sits in the MCU at this point. If they're just like, hey, he's, I mean, they're, they're saying that he's like a mile away from the events of uh, Eternals. Eternals. Yeah. You know, so like things like that, like, would you be cool if like he bumped shoulders with somebody that's like in the. I have read that there's some post-credit scene that like introduces a character. That feels about oh. right for me. I could also okay. believe just placing him in relation in the timeline, maybe a line mm. or two. I, I I think that they'll gain more power by holding off on that with this character. Yeah. yeah. But introducing new things that might then feed into things or introducing this pocket, I feel like I feel like this like you said, Steve, this feels like a new kind of phase of this feels like something new that they could build off of more yeah. so than have to depend on other things. But if, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of cameos that if they're well worked in, he could, he's, I mean, really, frankly, the, like the, 
the creepy side of the MCU is one they're just now getting into. So yeah. I kind of think we're about to see a lot more of their kind of horror characters, like with Multiverse of Madness. And then there's like a Halloween special or something being made for this year, I think. Werewolf by Night is getting a a, oh, like yeah. a, a show. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 think, I think it would be interesting to see what they would try. But I would hope whatever they do, it fits tonally with the show. But the, I, at yeah. this point, they certainly don't need to bring in a familiar face to, to make me excited. Um, right. But I do think introducing new characters is something it's always fun to see them do on these, uh, on these shows because it's like somebody who you might not expect to pop up in a movie can, can really have a good entrance on a, on a show like this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I, I want to make another of my famous segues because I think that if you're watching Moon Knight and Severance on the same day, you'll start to see similarities between this idea of like a fractured personality or identities that are at war with each other or two sides of the same person that might not know about each other or might not really be in control of each other. Um, and it really did, like particularly this second episode of Moon Knight today and the Severance finale, which I won't talk about, but just really got me to thinking about like when 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 worlds clash, you know, and, yeah. and what Severance is all about. And Ronald, you've only seen a few episodes, so you can speak to this part. And then we'll, we'll send you away for a little spoiler section and then bring you back for the end. Um, but like... Um, Severance is on Apple TV Plus. It's wrapping up its first season. This we hope first. It did get announced for season two. You said that, right, Steve? It did. Yeah, today, the day we're recording this Wednesday, it, they announced second season pickup for it. It sort of seems like it would have to. It's it's not a show that ends its first season in one of those. This could lead to more, but it also is a satisfying ending. It is yeah. not a satisfying <laughs> ending. Um, but but it's a great way to end a show with like an actual story where you're like really wanting to see just what the next moment is. Um, right. But the opening part of the show, Ronald, you can speak to this. It it starts off as almost like a meta joke about work life balance, and it turns it gradually like very quickly. The show is is like depressing, and and you feel isolated with these characters' lives. But as yeah. they form connections to each other and the warmth starts to creep in, I think it gains this momentum that in the last half of the season, or maybe the last three episodes even, it just reaches this pitch. But you're you're very early in, Ronald. How much have you watched and maybe talk about how you feel about that just, that, that work-life metaphor that they're that they're right. working with? Um yeah, I'm just two two episodes in, and at the end they reveal um some people in his organization's relationship distance wise to to him yeah and that really does like that reveals so scary you know the idea that you know he's being manipulated in this way um right. but that's about all i know you know i'm I, I don't know much but it feels so good like i i think there's like a i think comedians are capable of making the darkest things because you know, comedy and uh, horror and suspense kind of have this intersection sometimes. You know, there's, it's all there's about like getting a, a reaction. It's all about a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a there's like a tone to jokes that can be really, really awful. That can take a sudden shift and become very funny because it's like the relief of like, okay, this person does think like me, or I don't think like this person at all, or you know, I like that right. stuff a lot. And this the show really plays on the darkness of that sort of separation of work and you know and and, and home life and it's 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 a little terrifying. It's it's triggering me a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's why I haven't been watching it the way that I want to. Like you know, work work it work is traumatizing. We devote so much time to it 
when we want to be home with our kids or home with our family or going to see movies and talk about them on this podcast, like it's strange. But I, yeah. but I'm loving it. I'm loving it so far. I really am. It's it's really good. I think it's probably one of the good things the show does. And I, I don't know if you're at a point in the series yet, Ronald, like where these conversations like come up in a natural discourse, you know, at a dinner party, you know, mm-hmm. where they're yeah. talking about the motivations of why one would 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 volunteer for like a severance program. You know, the 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 idea of separating the two voluntarily, um, and you know those motivations become you know something they discuss and you can tell differing opinions so i mean it is kind of like an organic conversation um much in the way that you know you would question you know like is that something that that i would want to do you know or you know right, what is right. what is the what is the benefit of this or what is the the disadvantage of this but i don't know the show does that really well and you know having those conversations come up a couple times during the first season um both for the main characters to kind of like defend their decision versus start to question it. You know, mm. I think that transition that the series goes through in the first season um, is, is one of the, one of the strengths I think it, it has, you know, it, it kind of like, it, it kind of, you know, with, with Adam Scott's character um, again, not in any spoiler situation, but like, you know, him discussing why he wanted to do this and then start to maybe sort of by the middle end of the season question why he would want to do this again, you know, after he's kind of removed from a tragic event, a, a tragic experience that maybe, you know, encouraged him to do it. But I, I just think that that kind of transition through the the nine episodes is, is handled really well. The pacing definitely ramps up, uh, you know, as it gets to the lat- latter three, like John mentioned earlier. But um, I just, uh, yeah, overall, just as a general context of things, like I think it's just a really strong show. Again, there's something about these Apple TV shows that just feel, you know, like, like, like it's more in the conversation with the quality of like the HBO, you know, like yeah. the HBO Max yeah. originals, even that they're they're like HBO and Warner, like they're doing some amazing things over there at HBO and HBO Max, in my opinion. And I think that uh, Apple TV is doing the same. You know, some of these shows are connecting, some are not. I, unfortunately, I think most of their shows are not connecting. Right. right. Um, I just feel like there's not a big enough audience or subscriber base for the platform or for the service yet. Um, but that withstanding, I think just the quality of the product is just really good. And I mean, this one stands out to me as one of the, one of the better ones I feel like I've watched on the service. Um, and, and probably the one that I most cannot wait for a second season of. Right. I mean, um, for, yeah. for obvious reasons, if you've seen right. the season, right. I, right. I, I'll say another couple of things or maybe another little topic here before, before we get into this quick spoiler section we're going to do on this one this season um i i think that the look of the of the show and the feel of the show i mean it's obviously got it it's built to sort of lull you into understanding its style so that by the time they start piling on the the like the implications of Mm. the concepts that you're still kind of getting and where you are ronald it it's interesting how you go oh i don't know how else they could have gotten me ready for this ramp up Except, I mean, you know, maybe it could have been, I don't know, 
a few like condensed and move faster, but it would have lost some of the kind of weird dreamlike state. You almost start to feel like one of these characters that when you're inside this place, you don't know what's going on. And that's kind of one of the jokes of the cosmic yeah. jokes anyway of the show is just this idea um, that um, like, uh, what am I trying to say here? That That like, these people work for a company that they don't know what it is and they don't know what it does and they don't know what the implications of their work are. And it's l so literal that they're sitting at their desk and they, they literally don't know what they're doing. And you're the viewer knowing, I don't, I can't tell what they're doing. No one really seems to know if they're doing something real and the little rewards they get are so silly. But when you realize that this is a world that's geared towards people who, um, who have only lived at work, if, if you do this, this premise, the severance premise is that when you go into work, you change into this person who only forms memories that are formed at that job. And when you leave, you don't retain those memories. So it's like for your home life, it's great. You get to skip the work day, basically. For your right. work self, it's maybe not so great, but you don't have your life to compare work to. So you're just doing your job. But everybody exists there in this kind of infantile state almost of just believing what they're told and doing what they're told. And occasionally you can get a message from your other self that's telling you like, no, this is why I want you to stay. Or this is, you know, there, there's like two, it, it very quickly starts pr to present these philosophical issues about the treatment of the people who are, who are only existing to work. And, and that's kind of what you were saying, Ronald, about the, what can be crazy about that in real life, you know? Yeah. So I kind of yeah. think that that theme is so interesting and the way they play with it is so interesting but I also think that the show has a very, like we've alluded to the fact that it's got a comic spin to it. It's also a really funny show and you've got some great character actors doing some really fun stuff. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to get to before you left, Ronald. It's just, you know, John Turturro is great in this. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Arquette is doing really fine work in this. Um, there's a lot of people whose faces I don't know if I've seen before. The guy who plays Mr. Milchik is uh, is a great character actor. Zach Cherry, who I've only seen in a few things, he he he, he builds and builds. I don't know. Does anybody have like a favorite performance uh, that that stands out of, as far as what you've seen, Ronald, or you having seen the whole season? Season? Uh, yeah, I mean, John Totoro just being uh, snarky and uh, passive aggressive is always great. Uh, you know, that's that's really all I remember. You know, and and just Adam Scott in general, just whatever he's doing man like i yeah I, maybe i thought through um party down like party down really did have these moments where he was truly sad and kind of seeing that emotional range on there so i knew that he was capable of it but seeing him in this world just pretty much you know he's he's a great actor he's a great actor yeah i would say I would say Adam Scott, but if, if I mean, I think he's probably the strongest because he gets the most to do. But I think the other one stands out is we talked about her before, but um, the actress Britt Heller or Britt Lower, who plays Helly. Um, I think that character on the show, um, especially with what comes to be at the end of the season, proves to be one of the more interesting characters. And, um, and her performance really kind of clicks a lot more as you go through the season and you start to get you know, John mentioned the video from your outside self and like these little things that start to trickle in with her character and things start to kind of click together. Um, and then, you know, the reveal of, of her, um, what, what, what her, what her 
outside life looks like is, is I think pretty profound and in the context of what they're trying to do in the show. So she stands out to me as well. Um, but yeah, Adam Scott's great great in it. You know, uh, Ben Stiller, I heard somewhere on a podcast, I think it was on fly on the wall. If that's the name of the podcast with David Spade and Dana Carvey. Um, but he was talking about what drew him to this material and what drew him to Adam Scott for it was that it was this weird tone. And he said that Adam Scott's this actor who like in some shots, he almost looks like Tom Cruise, but in other <laughs> shots, he's got this super comedic, un- unusual quality, you know? And he was just saying, you don't, there aren't that many actors that are, that can do that where, where they almost have like a leading man quality. That's almost like a handsome right. leading man, bland almost, but, th- but Adam Scott is anything but a bland face and a bland actor. He's such an, a distinctive guy, but he can kind of play that, but he can also play the comedy really well. And so I think that you do kind of need someone, you do kind of need a man who can do both uh, <laughs> for this, yeah. uh, for this show. And I think that is kind of a gift. Another interesting thing is that this show was in development like six years ago. It totally feels like something that would have been born out of like the COVID era of conceiving this kind of strange, isolated existence. But I think it's interesting right. that this material was being created before that. It was commenting on this aspect of life before we found ourselves living in the most exaggerated scenario of what what trying to separate your home life and your work life might feel like, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, anyway. Well, I guess, Ronald, this would be where Steve and I will try to keep it to like just a few minutes. But if you've watched okay. the season, you probably want to hear us at least opine a little bit about some of the big reveals. So how do we signal you back, Ronald? You just watch the, for the uh, text Just shoot me a message in the chat. All right. Be... Okay. All right. Cool. I'll see you guys in a little bit. Okay. Well, anybody listening, I guess jump ahead. We'll try to, like I said, we'll try to keep it to like five minutes or something here. But I just want to say there's some big reveals. I think one of the biggest ones is that uh, Gemma is alive, and the Man. season act- the season actually ends with with Mark trying to get that out before it's too late. Um, and and you can you can picture the next moment of this scene and how shit's been blown up it's he didn't quite get to explain himself but shit's been blown up in a way that i think you can sort of connect the dots to how next season maybe maybe audi mark will be on the trail of what really happened to his wife which i have to say is completely mysterious to me like that storyline i'm like she's being kept prisoner in some strange way what the hell is going on i don't Uh, know but but how did you feel about that reveal and the implications of it steve amazing man i feel like the just that that the the episode the season ending on that reach from him before that switch gets turned, um, you know, I like saying she, she's alive. It really is, John. Like, honestly, like I, I completely miscounted these episodes. I thought there was another episode of the season. And to look back and feel like that's the finale, it's very satisfying. But like, I mean, that kind of a cliffhanger and for what he starts to have or some of the characters, but especially him start to experience with Gemma, who is Miss Casey in at work. You know, that those relationships, something feels different about that relationship even before this final episode. And, you know, and the way that the company is handling the the Miss Casey character um, is so interesting. So but to see, you know, all three of these characters have this episode, you know, connect it to their outside life and kind of them trying to like in different degrees, fumble their way through not revealing, you know, that they're a different set of eyes in this body now, pretty much. And, um, you know, I think the the way you kind of get to see 
uh, Heli and Mark and um, uh, what's his name? Irving's characters kind of like understand what's happening when they feel that switch. I thought it was phenomenal. Like, I just love the way the show looks. You mentioned it on that last episode that we talked about it, like the way that like the the camera kind of like shakes, zooms in or out to their face. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just see like the eyes just like go in and out when they go in and out of these experience, the severance program. I just, you know, I, I love this show. And I think that the way that this finale gives us a small taste of what it looks like when maybe something begins to be revealed about what the motivations are for these characters. And the reason I mentioned Helly is like the reveal for her character in terms of who she is in the real world um, is suspect in so many ways. And it makes so much more sense in terms of how they kept this character in the building uh, after some very traumatic things happened to her. Um, I don't know, man, just when you, she's she's like a publicity stunt, you know, for right. Exactly. You know, you see the motivations of how they, they want to roll this program out in in a scalable way to like the public. And it just, it's very scary. And uh, it's very, uh, it's just great, man. But yeah, the, the, the last line of the episode and, you know, him trying to get that word out, it's just like, it's so good, man. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like a great lost season ender. Except, it really is, man. Except, and I was going to say this earlier when we were just talking about the nature of this show, except this is a show where the characters who don't know what's going on are having the conversations that you would want them to have. Like from yeah. about the halfway point in the season on, whenever we get to our, uh, what is it, macro data refiners? Is that what they're called? <laughs> yeah. That whole department of people, their conversations, they're very, like once they all realize that they're all on the page of this place is fucked up. Yeah, they they actually start talking about the things that you kind of want them to. So in that sense, it's not like Lost. It's not like tease. I feel like there is a worked out story behind this, and I'm not saying that to knock Lost. I'm just saying that Lost would throw you one of those great cliffhangers, and and you would find out later they really didn't necessarily know where it was going. Where's but this going, feels yeah. like if next season we have oh Mark mm-hmm. is looking for what happened to Gemma and whatever has happened with Irv and Bert before Irv got snapped back Bert knows he came to his house and knocked on the door we expect there to be some each character right. is Helly's the one who's the most confusing to picture because she could just wake up as her Audi self and not really know what's going on but kind of know what's expected of her Right. But everybody, it's it's like with her, it's more about what when she carries that back to the inside. There's so much interesting stuff to play with now because it's yeah. both how they've affected their outside selves and how they're going to feel on the inside. Um, I just think, yeah, the implications are are amazing for where this show could go. And there's still this suggestion of whatever's behind it all could be some... I mean, we have no idea what the real purpose of this is and what the real intelligence is behind this, whether it's whether it's just science gone amok and human accomplishment gone amok, or if there's some other motive or plan or something that's being worked through this. I mean, like the opening sequence, the opening credits have always presented this kind of nightmare imagery that makes you think of like AI or, or alien intelligence or something. There's something going on that we don't quite know about what's, what the purpose of all this is. And I think that that it's great that there's like layers to this onion that we haven't explored because they, they introduced us, to this story through Heli, basically experiencing this war, even though it's kind of Mark's show, Heli was the character who we kind of were the fish out of water with right, at the right, beginning right. of the season. And I don't know. Yeah. It's just full of really cool, interesting implications wherever they go with it. 
And I think even like having like Mark's sister kind of come cross paths with like a mother who she sees later, who has no idea who she is yeah. or, or some, some recollection maybe, but not really. And there there's like this element of a political motivation of what to do with this technology and what Lumen yeah. can or cannot do with it on a lot. Like that's the scalability thing. That's super scary. You know, so there's almost like an implication, like there's a, there's a piece of it in play uh, to like control how you want someone to act, you yes. know, like with the, the way that politician is like kind of guiding his wife, uh, the mother of his children around at this, you know, at this, uh, like, I guess it's like a maternity compound thing that they go to, 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 to deliver their child. And then she sees her at this park and there's like, no, like the name is different. Like it, yeah. it's really weird stuff. And that's out in the world. That's not in like a confined building where they're controlling people to that level. So that, that all is kind of scary and creepy. And I, I like that element of it. And that, you know, there is like a bit of a twilight zoniness to it that it, it feels like could open up a lot in the, in the second season. And, you know, definitely look forward to that. And uh, yeah, I hope it's out within the, within the next year or so. What's Zach Cherry's <laughs> character's name? Um, let me look. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, what's his name? Uh, Dylan. Dylan. Yeah, Dylan. Um, I like the way Dylan is the one who's like the most into the sort of office rewards and stuff early in the season and the most like the high performer in the department. Yeah. And then, and he wouldn't, you know, he's like, guys, mind the rules. This is what we get out of this. And then he has a glimpse of the fact that he has a son and oh, it completely man. shatters the whole purpose of the severance. I mean, as a parent, that is such yeah. a true heartbreaking development. The way he instantly becomes interested in, like, I want to know more about my son. That was that yeah. my son. Th like, I loved how that little moment happened, and, and you didn't even really know how to categorize what was happening in that moment. Like, only later does it become evident that Milchek basically visited him in his home and snapped him into this other place, but yeah. basically came into his home and sent his son off to count, like, a creepy. Yeah. home invasion almost scenario um and i feel like milchik is a character that we can get into in the future and learn more about him because he seems like he's vaguely tortured by what he's expected to do but he's a company man through and through so for sure but just i loved seeing the way that that suggested oh knowing about your outside life would totally send ripples through whatever they're trying to do here and every one of our characters now has information that's going to destroy the the severance program or at least threaten it i thought that was start really to, interesting to, yeah. so um and, and and so what do you think uh john torturo irv was doing some kind of research or targeting bert through the like there's something going on that we don't know about that his outside self has that paperwork and was doing that research right I don't know. right yeah I, there, there's a lot going on that we don't quite know and the characters sort of like leaving a letter for yourself i, I kept thinking of memento like the only yeah. thing john torturo could have done outside of what he did was like write out a couple pages and say hey i'm you from the inside and right now things are weird and i want you to tell bert that i miss him you know <laughs> yeah no nah, man it's great it's all yeah. good stuff all right well let's call ronald back <clears throat> yeah call him back chat him up <laughs> oh on back let's see what else he's watched he's always watched 19 things <laughs> <laughs> Although not as much lately, but I still seem he still seems to squeeze it in. May have fallen asleep. Yeah, maybe he maybe he was listening and fell asleep. 
Well, how are things, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> things are good, man. Things are moving along. Oh, there he is. Hey, there's, 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 there's our yeah. guy. What's up, man? What's up with you? Did you go separate? Did you go sever from from your home? <laughs> <laughs> this is such a nerdy thing. My home kit was acting up, and I had to make sure it was reconnected. But yeah, all What's is good in the that? world. All is good in the world. So, oh, so what else have what else have you seen, Ronald? Yeah. We were talking. You've probably seen. Well, we we used to I mean, see like twenty things. But, I really, uh, I really just want to highlight one thing. One oh, thing that's been it. like go for it. Heavy in my head, man. That's uh, Gerard Carmichael's HBO special, Rothaniel. Ah. Um. So one of the things that really has been bothering me that the the headline is that. You know, Gerard Carmichael's come out. That's like the big headline. But what's missing from that headline is just how much he addresses in the special, just about like masculinity and identity. And it's it's so beautifully woven together. And and I think there's a reason why Bo Burnham has been doing the last two. Like he, you know, eight to me is a masterpiece. It's it's like one of the most uniquely shot you know, uh, stand-up specials I've ever seen. It starts with an extreme close-up shot of Gerard Carmichael's face posing a question, are we okay? And he talks about, like, Trump and gets into this cool stuff. Like, it's just really well done, and Bo Burnham is, like, perfect for it. This one is kind of stripped down. Um, And funny enough, I helped a friend get tickets to see this one get filmed. And he was kind of like, you know, it's it's strange because if because of the way the male ego works mm-hmm. and masculinity works, if I suggest this to a, a guy, he might think, like, is he trying to tell me he's gay or is he trying to tell me to come out? You know, so like it's that striking of a subject, the way he addresses it, that I could see how I, I'm, I've been hesitant to even suggest it to people. That's how, that's how how like that's how fucked up masculinity is (laughs) how fucked up masculinity is and how unique the stand-up special is like it is i don't think i've ever seen anything tackled this way by a person who won people over in a very particular way it's like the equivalent of ellen coming out i mean not to be strange but like not 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 in terms of like popularity but in terms of like the shift, the shift that's that's probably going to occur with this, like, you know, the identity of somebody that you've probably spent a couple hours with at, in your home. Uh, the Carmichael show is a pretty popular show, got more popular in Netflix. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Uh, well, he's an interesting it, it's, guy. It's, and like, you know, I I kind of feel like. When I heard that headline too, that you know, or read that headline, um, no one read it to me. I didn't hear. It. I hated it. Um, but, I hated but, it, man. But, but it's it. like I was like, oh yeah, it's like it didn't, it didn't. It's like, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like his energy. There's always been something kind of special, mysterious. About, uh, special, mysterious, unique, whatever about his energy that I was like, oh, it kind of makes more sense. It's like <laughs> it reminds me of when a friend of mine has come out, and it's like, oh, that just makes more sense. You know, that just you seem more yeah. you now that I know that. Um, yeah, yeah, and and yeah, no, I think that's I think I think he is an interesting guy, and he does have a different kind of energy. And now you might be able to pinpoint why 
he he felt so, for lack of a better term, kind of non-toxic <laughs> all along. Um, <laughs> you know, speaking of the kind of masculinity we were making fun of a minute ago. Um, so I don't know. I think that uh, I think that yeah, he's 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 an interesting, funny guy. I thought he was he had some funny moments on SNL too, and it's interesting to see him host that show. When I don't know, I mean, I know that a lot of people were talking about his special, but he is still sort of a who's that kind of guy to host snl yeah. so he kind of had a week yeah. you know he kind of had a big week I, I i like to see it yeah and he's on seth meyers i guess what would be the equivalent of whenever we're recording it today so that you know seth seth has aaron's kind of put me on to seth like i you know i love him as a comedy writer but he kind of during covid something changed about him man like he became more like i don't know he found activated. his stride. I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, he activated yeah. him. He found his stride, and he's really fun to watch. Um, and I'm super curious how Gerard's going to do on his show. So, um, Roth Daniels, the name of the special. Um, it's actually, it has some significance with the special. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's so fucking good. It's such a good piece of stand-up like it it feels like it's a it's a marker in my head now it's like man it's like before that special and now after that special like i it's it's that it's that powerful of a special to me well i'll throw out there so fucking good made me think of atlanta i'm just gonna say i'm caught up on that and it's amazing so far this season so Um, good yeah I, yeah. I think about how all the white people on that show are so weird, and then it makes me think about how black people were represented in most culture before yeah. maybe the last like yeah. five years. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "It's." I think it's a great. I, I I read that as like both a real commentary on yes, white people, you are this weird, but also um, it, of like just representations of like on this show. Yes, there might be <laughs> white people that don't act this weird out there, but. We're not going to give them airtime on this show. It kind of reminds me of Jordan Peele's whole thing about like, I'm not going to have a white protagonist because people are doing that already. Why would I do that? So I love, I love the way that Atlanta tackles those awkward, weird moments that are just like, there's a moment in the third episode where Darius, you know, I would say he experiences a a medium sized microaggression that he's willing to sort Mm -hmm. of put down. He's willing to be understanding about. Um, and there's a white dude is between it's, it's, it's with an Asian woman who has this kind of says this sort of racist, I don't know, just it's weird stuff. She says to Darius and it kind of ends nicely. And there's a white dude who escalates it and turns it into this whole crusade against the Asian woman for being racist against Darius. And it's just like the way that unfolds is such a funny commentary. I mean, if you, if you're yes. on Twitter, you see this happen all the time uh this kind of version of whiteness that's so busy being offended on someone's behalf and really yeah. kind of missing the point of why someone would even be offended even if you wanted to be a, pretend you're being on someone's side by getting offended on their behalf you, yeah. you, you can very easily miss the mark of what might actually be wrong with the situation and i think that's that's one of like 20 things the show has done this season so far yeah. that are really clever and really sometimes cringe inducing and sometimes very sad or horrifying but always extremely well done. Yeah, Atlanta is yeah. just an amazing show. You've, so you've mentioned it already, but I just had to say, since I'm caught up on it, it's totally That's up for to sure power. happened to me. That yeah. scene has happened oh, I bet to it, me. I bet it has. Except, bet the, it has. except the white dude was like, I'll punch the person for you. He's like, I, I know you can't punch the person. 
because you're black and they don't, you know, people will perceive you as crazy. But I'll punch the person for you. Tell me the person that said this racist thing to you. I'm like, no, I mean, I get I get it. I get it. But like white guilt kind of caves in on itself. It like becomes this like parody it's of itself. It's almost. performative. Yeah, yeah, it's very performative. And it, it once it starts caving in on itself to 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 demonstrate how decent you are, you people will do some crazy things, man. Uh, also, didn't you love when that guy took okay. his hat off and, and Darius said, man, your hairline is intense. <laughs> <laughs> this is all over the place. The guy had like super high hairline. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Now that show is also, Steve, it keeps up the absurdity. I know you haven't caught up, but like every episode also has those weird touches that you're like, did that happen? You know what I mean? Like Atlanta yeah. goes to some really interesting, <laughs> yeah. weird places. Yeah. Um, no. God, they have one thing. They have one thing about one of my favorite people of all time. And... They address a mystery mm. and it's done in such a fucking cool way. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this show, man? Like, talk about Darius's keep... theory about what might be happening in that situation. Yeah. Talk... Okay. It's yeah, like yeah. You, you can, this, these conversations are going to go on for like decades after this show goes off. It's, it's that kind of weirdness to it. So it's, it's worth, it's worth checking out for sure. I just like that in an earlier season, Big Boy we know says yes, he always wants Zaxby's. And uh and then this season it's Nando's Peri Peri that he's like oh super God. into. But I but I mean like that's my go to place. If I'm out and I see it and I'm like, you know what? I know that they I can get a solid piece of chicken there. I thought that the yeah. whole Nando's gag was really, really funny in that episode. <clears throat> it's crazy the way that people talk about Nando's in <laughs> Europe. It doesn't make any sense. Like it talk they talk about it the way that like so you know you you've you've kind of vouched. I said for big like, boy, it's paper boy. I I yeah, I, I got uh, the wrong boy. B O I. Steve, you kind of vouch for the burger spot, uh, Wall Burger, but that's because <laughs> like it's it's like unique and not everywhere. Yeah. And Nando's is everywhere. People talk about Nando's like it's like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I gotta go to Nando's like Nando's Nando's gotta go to Nando's like it's like why is everybody talking about Nando's like this? What is the fuck is going on? What did they put in this chicken here? Strange. I've never, I've never had it. I also like what they're giving uh, uh, Van this year, as far as like acknowledging oh. her kind of her kind of invisibility to the group, but also how she has this yeah. weird freedom because she's not she's not beholden to the bullshit <laughs> that the rest of the guys yeah. are going through. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. No, it's just every episode is that that third one at the party is just so full of like absurd moments that were. Yeah. Um, so good. Man. Very funny and very unsettling at the same time. Yeah. Holy shit. Anything else? I wanted to just mention, we I don't think we've really talked about it much on the on the podcast, but there's a there's there's something happening on a lot of these streamers right now where like there's all these series out there about like real life uh <laughs> true crime or corporate uh failure technology. Yeah. Like there's all these series. And we, we you know we we've gotten access to watch, excuse me, a lot of them, but um, mm. you know, there's like basically the 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 We Crashed series on Apple TV Plus about the right. WeWorks debacle. Um, there's the Super Pump series that's on now on Showtime about Uber and uh, Travis Kalanick, and then there's the Dropout on Hulu, which is about the Theranos, uh, right, 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 Elizabeth Holmes a whole whole ordeal. But um, I just wanted to recommend the Dropout among the three of them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the one with the least 
I guess, star power. I mean, Amanda Seyfried, you know, had an Oscar nomination a couple of years ago. And I think I put her on the map for a lot of people. Um, but uh, and more people probably know her from like the Mamma Mia movies. But um, she is just incredible in this series as Elizabeth, as Elizabeth Holmes. And, uh, you know, um, originally it was Kate McKinnon. And I, I keep having a hard time picturing how Kate McKinnon wouldn't have taken the ticks of this character and turned it into a much more comedic performance. Right, yeah. So as much as I love Kate McKinnon, <sighs> I've been glad that it's not her. I, I, I think yeah, Amanda yeah. Seyfried has been, has been pretty amazing in this. And the cast, I think the whole cast has really gelled around her performance in a way that it's not to say that it wouldn't have happened with Kate McKinnon, but it's just hard to picture the show not having a, a more heightened tone. And I feel like it might, it might fall apart if it didn't have yeah, this really would, grounded I, I performance. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it probably would have been a little more distracting too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think that the the, the show is great, and I think this is a really I, I think it's going to probably be one of those series that comes up around um, Emmy time, and I just I see a lot of people talking about it. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm not really into the the We Crash series so far. Like, I'm not loving that on Apple TV Plus, the mm. the Jared Leto and Hathaway one. Um, the We Crash. The We Crash documentary that we saw as a part of one of the festivals last year, I think, is great. Really good. And that yeah. story is just out, out, out. Wow. Just like insane. Um, but uh, super pumped. I, I think is is I'm really enjoying that, too. Um, Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. No, I and Kyle Chandler. Uh, Kyle Chandler is like my MVP of most things. I just love him um, yeah. in general. But he's great in the series. And, and Joseph Gordon is great, too. Um, but if I had to recommend one of these, this onslaught, it feels like, and they're all kind of, uh, you know, ending at the same time. Like the finale is this week for the dropout, and I'm excited to see the, how how it ends. Um, but I, yeah, that's on Hulu. So if I you think have she Hulu gets caught, and I know how the story ends. <laughs> uh, I guess more so how the series how the series handles the ending of this story, um, right, because right. the whole. You know, and, and, you know, things happening in real time in terms of her trial happening, you know, just like a couple months ago. And, um, man, Did just that story is just like, that's an all timer. Really it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, crazy. like the, the, the questionable motives and the approaches of like some of these, you know, the Silicon Valley, you know, these game changers, like whatever they want to call themselves, these ups, you know, like, like Travis Kalanick from uber and elizabeth holmes um i just and even adam newman from from weworks i just there's something about the 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 theranos story that is just there's something else about it that seems more devastating or just like so like wrong to me like you know the fact yeah. that there's a medical device and people's lives and you know the the blood element of it and like yeah some of the stuff that they did with their testing is just it's so bothersome about yeah. like how much money went behind this thing um and they basically like hoodwinked everybody and it's just like it's just crazy man and the documentary for that the the alex gibney doc yeah that was on hbo is just outstanding so i'd watch that as a companion but again as a great series on hulu the dropout i think it's been like ex yeah. excellent so far so i'm very excited to see the the finale for that yeah i think are they it, still making the movie oh, um guess. yeah the, Gen the 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 jennifer uh lawrence movie yeah yeah i think adam mckay is directing 
I didn't know Adam that, McKay was doing it. It almost that. seems like an interesting thing for yeah. him to do after this show, which isn't quite an Adam McKay style thing, but it still feels like there'll be some stylistic overlap. Because I really do think yeah. that one of the things this show has done a good job with is keeping you hooked on that idea of just the fraud that right. it's going to be found out. Like you're not very, yeah. she's not a very sympathetic character for various reasons, but that aspect in a story will always be a good source of tension for me. The idea of watching someone they, just make a, a problem for themselves and make it worse and make it worse. And there's so many points where someone says to her, just tell me what's really going on and I'll help you out in this way or that. But it's so much about her pride and her not wanting to let go of the sort of capital she's gained. Uh, yeah, you know, right. it's, it's a really interesting story of someone's, you know, hubris and, and kind of how it manifests. Because otherwise, she's this kind of rootable character. She's this young woman who drops out of college for a dream. I mean, there's so much about it that you you can see why people wanted to believe this story. Right. You know? right. But yeah, it's... This it's, show it, kind of... Yeah, Ron. So, so I, I was going to say, this show depicts that, that time in a very different way. That she dropped out of school because she got essentially assaulted and was traumatized by that. And that's something that I'd never heard. I did. Did you ever hear that? That she got sexually I, assaulted? In, I only knew it from like reading more about it after seeing the documentary. Yeah, I, like I didn't know anything about that, man. Like that makes more sense that she would have left the situation that she was in and maybe tried to work outside of that system to. That was pretty big. That was well, a I mean, pretty trauma big will also make you do some pretty, you know, that was like un that was like literally things. a. Big yeah. part of that story that they just didn't. I've seen like five things about her life. They never talk about that. Like literally, never talk about her getting assaulted in yeah. college. Yeah, it's very strange. I've, they just showed something on like uh, CBS about it, like to promote the show. And Amanda was in the the, the like the doc, and it's like interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I wonder why they would yeah, leave I think that the, out of the show completely. I mean, I guess maybe just it feels a little dark to bring into the tone of this show. I don't know. I mean, it's it's in there briefly. I mean, it, I guess it, you're it, right. It, there. It, 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 it is it is nod. in the show. It, it's like a big moment with her and her mom and everything. Yeah. Um, but okay, it I guess definitely I couldn't is, remember how was that dramatized. Was it just that she was talking to her mom about it? She well, was. She she yeah, had basically yeah. like was she. It happened to her. They kind of implied that it happened. And then she was very depressed and right, right. She was okay. kind of shut in for a little bit. And yeah. Then she talked right. to her mom about it. And yeah. It, but and the school, like the school didn't really right, right. believe yeah. her. Yeah. Um, I must have watched that first ep first couple episodes so long ago because I feel like yeah, yeah. I watched it, it when we had access to screeners. And then I started watching the show live on Hulu with with my yeah. wife. And so I yeah. kind of went from Hello. I watched the first two episodes and then started like a month later or something, I I started catching right, it. Right. So I had just forgotten, but yeah, that was in there. Mm. Yeah, the the one that uh, Adam McKay's doing is based on the book. So the movie's called Bad Blood. It's based on the book Bad Blood, but that that the the reporter who broke the story wrote after the Ooh, fact. Okay, so yeah, John yeah, yeah. John Carey Rue, gotcha. who is a character in the series, you know, fuck Carey um, Rue, fuck Carey Rue. <laughs> what is that? What is that actor's name who plays him? I I know I can never remember his name. He, um. Do you know what I'm talking about in the series? Oh, even even uh, Moss yeah, yeah. Uh, plays him um, in the series. But yeah, that's what the McKay Jennifer Lawrence thing Ooh. is based on. Is is his book? 
um, about it. But that scene yeah, at the paper a, with the Theranos lawyers facing off against oh the journalists God, is so maybe good. one of the best scenes in the whole series. It's so good. It's incredible. That whole thing that she talks about, like in Sicily with the fishing thing, yeah. like, and he's like, yeah, it's time to get a fish it, or whatever she mm -hmm. says. Like, it's so good. Well, so like, good. like, well, they're playing it. So like, okay, you guys, what is it? Like, we're getting out of here. And she says, but it's only been four hours, <laughs> but they, but they leave and she's kind of playing it cool. And the second they leave, you can tell that the editor is like, yes, now we've got it. You know, like before that, you're yeah, not yeah. totally sure. But like, yeah, the, I just, that will always get me going. Journalists getting on the story and finding the detail they need to know to go forward. I don't know. That always gets me excited about the power of the press and like the power of, of accountability that we still, that still can sometimes work in our favor, you know, and you're, you're sort of, if there's anybody you're kind of rooting for in this thing, it's the people who are going to reveal the truth, you know? So right. I don't know that, that, that was a real, yeah. a real triumphant moment. Yeah. The, the one that comes to mind when you mention stuff like that is that scene in spotlight. Yeah. When Rich McAdams is interviewing that, at the doorstep, man. That's one of those moments. Um, but yeah, she's great. Lisa Gay Hamilton plays that the the editor. Yeah, she's who's also good. in who's also in Winning Time right now, and she's great in that too. That's Magic's mother in Winning Time. It's the same act, same actress. Get out of here! Yeah, she's also That's great. In, I don't know if you ever remember Men's, Men of a Certain Age. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, she was yeah. she was Andre Brower's wife in that too. Yeah, great. I like great that actress. show a lot. The little, bit, the little bit that she's had, and that, that's what John's saying though earlier. Like the cast around this whole show is just is has been great. But yeah, I just right. wanted to mention those three, but specifically, you know, of, of for me at least, the one that has definitely risen to the top based on the performances and just the quality of the show and, and the story. Again, is just one of the more interesting ones to me. Um, mm. And again, the finale is this week, so you know, check it out if you want to catch up. I just want to quickly mention Slow Horses, which is another new Apple Plus show, Apple TV Plus. It's Gary Oldman heading uh, a cast of British actors. Some I recognize, I, but none of them are like big names to me. But it's kind of like the idea is this is the sort of uh, office of rejects. It's like a, it's like an you know MI6 spy thing. And so you've got like Regents Park is like the 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 full on you know spy espionage center it's like it, that's got the full mi6 kind of thing going on and then down down the street it feels like is the office that gary oldman heads which is this office full of disgraced spies or people who've had uh, career-ending <laughs> mistakes that have put them oh, in this wow. office and so it's a little bit like workplace comedy or dramedy mixed with like a real espionage plot but they're, they're really playing up the whole idea of like these misfits are the spies that nobody expects anything good out of. And the only reason anyone's there is because they've fucked up. And Gary Oldman is their boss. And his whole mission seems to be to make them so bored that they quit. Like he doesn't want anybody to do anything interesting or exciting. You kind of quickly realize he's kind of protecting them in a way. There's one part where she, he's told by a higher up that they're a bunch of losers. And he says they are, but they're my losers. So, I mean, it's, it's that kind of idea. And I feel like over the course of this season, they're going to, you know, they're going to get entangled in something real. But just the idea of kind of pencil pushers, paper shuffling spies. I've always had an idea in my own head of, that it would be fun to depict, uh, you know, that side of the espionage game. Uh, and we've seen various comedies that have tried to kind of take that idea of like, well, these are the unlikely 
these are the worst spies, but they're the only ones left to do this job. But this show is kind of grounding it a little bit more in the real world of kind of modern espionage. I like the way British people do espionage. It, it, you, you really have it's to so. hang out and like watch it closely. But so far, it's a really fun show. I've seen all the episodes that as of today, when this episode comes out of our show, the third episode of Slow Horses will be out on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, and yeah, I'm just definitely, definitely the third episode ends with an image that you're going to want to see what happens next. So, um, if you get that far, but it's just funny and yeah, Gary Oldman is doing his typical thing of just being great in something. Um, (laughs) and playing this loathsome guy. I mean, he's like farting and smoking and like drinking and he's got holes in his socks and he puts his feet up on his desk. I mean, they really play up the idea that this is like the dead end office. This is the job you don't want. If you ever, if you dreamt of having a, a career in espionage. But like one of the guys that works in the office famously left a, a, a top secret file on the train and it hit the news. I mean, like <laughs> each each character, ha- we haven't found them all out yet uh, where I am. But, uh, you know, the idea, I think, is going to be that each of each one of them has like a a past that they're trying to kind of shake off and get redeemed from. So it's a it's a fun mm. setup. And so far, the story is is pretty interesting, too. So slow horses. I would recommend it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right, man. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up. Uh, moviesreview.com is the website. You can find all the past episodes on that site. Jump into any of the different podcast platforms that you might subscribe to. If you want to share a link, they're all there. Send it to your friends, your family, uh, even people that you don't like. Just they might like us. I don't know. Let's just let <laughs> you try at least. Um, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Um, and as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.